Hello and welcome to episode 83 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. I'm Amalith. I'm Jim. And I'm Martin. Good to talk to you all and welcome to the show, Martin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you are the lead dev of Askinema. That's correct. Which is a project that we've talked a bit about on Late Night Linux and I described as witchcraft, I think, at one point, which amused you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Many people find it unusually cool because they don't expect this can work and how it works, actually. And for those of you who aren't already familiar with the project and haven't already listened to that particular Linux episode, it's a portmanteau of ASCII and Cinema. We should probably talk more about what the project is because it is quite cool. Yeah, so it kind of captures terminal output and makes a really nice interactive video. That's correct. In fact, it's not a video. It's a pure text recording of, of a row byte stream that your programs in your terminal output to your terminal. So it's the, the recordings made with Eskinema are super lightweight. And because it's just a text, they can be replayed in any resolution in you know very sharp fonts, scalable. Yeah, and what you end up with is it looks like a video, but as you said, it's not. And it's um, it's just a really nice way to record terminal output, I guess. And so that's why you see it used on a lot of readmes of especially CLI projects. That's one of the uh, cool things about the project, I think, is like you record where you work without switching context to, you know, switching to like a screen recording software going from your terminal, you, you can keep your hands on your keyboard and continue. You think like, oh, I'm going to record that. So you type Askinema rec, and then it starts a new shell, which gets recorded. So I think that's that's one. And the other is the lightweight aspect of it. And um, I try to make the player look as much as any modern video player. But in fact, it's not really a video there. In fact, it uh, the player embeds a, a lightweight terminal emulator, which is written in Rust and compiled to WebAssembly and embedded in the JS player. Essentially, what we're talking about doing here is recording a terminal session using only text and timing. So you can play back the keystrokes in the order in the places that they appeared, but you're not using a big, heavy video codec. And in fact, you can't capture any of that stuff because it's just text and timings. If you want to compare it to something more widely understood, it's a lot like an SRT file on steroids. Which is a file used for subtitles. Yeah. Thank you, Amalith. <laughs> and because the Askinema player is all text-based, it allows you to do things like copy-paste the commands that the person who recorded that video ran, and you can copy-paste their output as well into, into your terminal, into your text editor, and so on. So, Martin, one thing that I'm curious about it's really cool to be able to use Eskinema to, uh, you know, record like a live session and being able to embed that on like a GitHub page is pretty cool because you you get this, you get a feeling of liveness that you're just not going to get seeing just the entire content of a short terminal session. But one of the possible issues with that is that everybody can also see the mistakes you make in the terminal. Is there any facility for like editing out bloopers when you've recorded a fairly long terminal session? You just don't want to look like an idiot. Yes, yeah, so uh, there's a bunch of tools around Askinema which do all sorts of editing, post-processing. There's a tool called Askinema Edit, and there's a few others. There's nothing really 
built in right now at the in the core but the ascii cast files the the recording format that cinema recorder uses these are plain text uh, json based files that you can actually edit in your own editor you can fire up vim and then vim will not blow up because it's not a binary file and then you can just find the places that you want to edit and then you can remove them or change timing so proper nerd style i didn't encrypt it so do whatever you want with it it's on you <laughs> <laughs> well so so there are a few a few more things you can do so one thing you can do is like say you're recording and then you you want to try something while recording but you don't want this to be part of the recording so you can press a control backslash which pauses the capture and then you can do anything and it will won't get uh, saved to the recording file so it's like mute for example yeah in a in a regular call and then you press control backslash again and it starts recording again so that's one of one of the things of course this doesn't work if you make a typo because it already happened but another thing that helps with making recordings more pleasant is a feature called idle time limiting which basically reduces long pauses to the number of seconds you specify so say you use option idle time limit set it to two seconds so then when you record every idle moment that would be more than two seconds gets gets compressed to two seconds so you can go for a for a walk for an hour get back and then only two seconds will be in the final recording i can feel myself looking more competent already <laughs> <laughs> so normally we ask about you know what it's like developing a, a a linux project or on a linux platform but given how low level the data primitives you're working with it kind of seems like Maybe there isn't really specifically a target here. It's just kind of a thing for working with data. Is that accurate? That is correct. And that thing at the heart of, of the recorder is uh, a thing, old school thing called PTY, pseudo terminal, that originated in old Unix systems. And this is a capability of, of all Unix-like operating systems, which is also used by SSH, GNU screen, Tmux and programs like that. That's also re the reason why from the f day, day one, Askinema Recorder worked on both Linux and uh, Mac OS because those are Unix-like systems. And these days, I know Askinema Recorder runs on, on Windows in WSL. I haven't tried it myself because I don't want to touch that stuff, but I know people do it, so, so that works. But I, I, I feel... Linux environment for me is the most developer friendly since I've been developing on Linux or in general, I've been developing for, for a long, long time. And it always feels like the most friendly way to do development for me because there's the least amount of distractions. I can just focus, get in the flow. There's no like pop-ups. There's no like, like operating system like this. Yeah. You have new software updates or you have something or you know like bullshit stuff like the windows start menu showing me local news what are you saying you don't want to see candy crush adverts no no <laughs> okay so next question development environment are you using an ide or are you just using text editor to the console or 
I wish I could say something different, but but I use uh, these days I use VS Code, which is the, the the least. Well, it works and it saves me time. But I wish I I had time to set up something else. So in my career, I've been a huge Vim user for for many many years. I've been developing in Vim for like a decade or something. Then I switched to Emacs thanks to Space Max with the evil mode, which is like the, the best Emacs ever. But then these days I work uh, with multiple languages, uh, Rust, Elixir, uh, Python, and whatnot. So there's varying degree of support in various editors. And so if, you, if you're building your ID on top of Vim, then in my opinion, you're in a world of hurt. I can see how like this time, investing this time can be beneficial for, for the future, for long term. Because I, I've been there, I, I've been crafting my Vim config for years as well. But but these days, like the Rust and Elixir support in VS Code is just superb. So this really helps. Getting an IDE-like setup in bare text editors requires a lot of work. Yeah. Using an IDE requires very little work, or making VS Code into an IDE is very easy. It comes with a lot of batteries included, in my experience. Yeah, yeah. Because I was in a very similar situation. I usually use Doom Emacs when I'm writing any kind of code. But recently, I've, I've been trying to pick up Ruby for work, and I could have sat around trying to figure out which knobs to turn and which switches to flick, but I just installed Ruby Mine. I have the education license, so... I get what you're, where you're coming from. Okay, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. A busy schedule can make it easy to fall into your dinnertime recipe rut. Keep mealtimes exciting with over 40 recipes to choose from every week, so there's always something delicious to discover with HelloFresh. Turn to HelloFresh Market for delicious add-ons and enjoy the season's limited full flavors lineup. Feast on desserts like apple cider cake with caramel sauce, or please a crowd with appetizers like the barbecue pulled pork nachos. And don't forget the mini pumpkin cheesecake if you fancy a little treat. Amalith tried HelloFresh and said the kits came with exactly the right ingredients in the right amounts and saved him and his roommate from having to spend hours shopping around at the store. The dishes were all really simple to prepare and cook, and they came out tasting great. So support the show and go to hellofresh.com slash 50LDT and use code 50LDT for 50% off plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash 50LDT and code 50LDT for 50% off plus free shipping. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxdowntime.com support. And remember that for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the late-night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxdowntime.com. So Martin, you are developing for a pretty technical, tech-savvy audience. You're not developing something that end users are going to be using. It's mostly kind of developer sysadmins and stuff. So that must be kind of nice in a way. Yeah, it is. I don't need to deal with uh, 
all the user friendliness, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, well, the nature of, of the tool I'm building is command line oriented. So the natural user interface is command line arguments, command line flags for, for it. So this is pretty simple, well understood interface for, for this audience. And it's very simple to implement. Like if I want to implement a new option for, for the record command, I can just implement it, add the new option name to the help message, and then it, it's there. They, it can be used. If it was a tool for broader audience, for us Kinema, it wouldn't make sense. But if it was a different tool, in some cases, it would make sense to create a GUI application. And with GUI application, you have like all sort of, uh, you know, it's a it's a can of worms because you, first you need to decide what kind of GUI toolkit to use. Yeah, you just make it Electron. Easy. <laughs> yeah. but no, then, It's the wrong answer. <laughs> no, it, it's always the wrong answer. But even if, if you make this wrong choice and you feel like, oh yeah, you, you win, then you need to build this whole UI, all the elements. You, you don't have like a building blocks. You need to, to reach for some front end uh, originated toolkits, uh, like components, etc., based on CSS, etc. That's, uh, it's terrible. But anyway, if you, if you chose something more sane, like Qt or GTK, then you still need to make a lot of choices, like where to put this new, new button, or is it like a menu option, or is it like with common line applications, you just add a new flag and then you're done. So that's, that really helps. So that's on the recorder side, uh, on the player side, the player that you can see on askinema.org site, which is the primary host for, for the recordings. The player can also be used standalone on your own website. You can just use it, download the JS bundle. And it has a lot of options as well. Like you can configure like the theme and other look and feel aspects of it. That's also rather simple. I just add a bunch of new options here and there, make sure it's uh, stable, it works. But the audience is used to consuming JavaScript libraries like that. It's still user friendliness, though. It's just for a very different class of user. Yeah, good point. Yeah. I mean, the minute you bring a GUI into it, everything just gets weird. It's not even user friendliness necessarily as much as just you have to hit the right points for the right percentage of the user's individual psyches. And it gets really strange. Like I got twitted on uh, the late night Linux Telegram the other day for still having the default app wallpaper in Telegram <laughs> when I posted a screenshot. Like that's the kind of nonsense you have to deal with once you get into developing GUI apps. And I'm very much with you there. Like <laughs> just count me out. <laughs> the user friendliness is a, is a spectrum and it's kind of context specific. So I try to make my tools user-friendly for this type of audience. So I, I make sure the, the common line arguments are named appropriately. The names make sense. The options that you pass to the JavaScript player also should, should be reasonably understandable and useful in that context. So I usually strive for making it easy by default and doing like a reasonably good job by default with ability to hook into it or just extend it in your own way. So if you know what you're doing, you can, I'm, I'm a big proponent of like letting you do it 
even some crazy stuff if you know what you're doing, but not overwhelming the like the default use case with those like advanced capabilities. So you try to give it same defaults and you try to make everything configurable, but the extra configurable stuff has same defaults. Exactly. One of the big potential paper cuts that I encounter fairly frequently with command line only utilities is uh, not only the arguments themselves and the defaults, but even sometimes just the parser that's used. Like you'll see somebody that tries to write their own command line argument parser, and that's one of those deceptively difficult problems. You think, oh, this is easy. I just parse a bunch of stuff that somebody tacks on into the command line. And then you realize, well, wait, I have to recognize it no matter what order it's in whether there are short form or long form arguments or a mix of both, some that take parameters, some that don't take parameters, it gets pretty easy to make something screwy and difficult to use if you're not really paying attention to what you're doing. I absolutely despise goes flags package Same because no one should ever write a command line application that has whose flag format is dash long name. It should be dash letter or dash dash long name. Abomination. Of course. The flags package just does it the wrong way. (laughs) Because you have to be able to give your short form argument that has its own parameter right there without even so much as a space in between if you want. (laughs) Like God intended and everybody berates me for when I do it online. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's nice when you do like a... Say it's a command that, you know, has an, an argument for like count, you know, the iterations that it does. Like I want to be able to do just dash C5, not have to do dash C space five. But frankly, I want either one to work because either could make sense. And that's the kind of thing that you get into with with user friendliness there. It, it's a much more sharply bounded space than when you get into, you know, user friendliness in a GUI app. But The concerns are very much all still really there. Your arguments have to not suck. Ideally, you want them to be memorable. Nothing, I won't say nothing sucks worse, but few things suck worse than a command line app that has a bunch of arguments and you can never remember them because the dev named them something weird and unintuitive. Like the best command line apps are the ones that like 90% of the arguments, you don't even have to look them up the man page. Like you could just, okay, well, this should support something like this. And let me type in what that should look like. And, oh, hey, how about that? It works. Like, that's user-friendliness in the command line space. So you're saying the opposite of tar, then? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fine art. Like, you can't imagine how ridiculous amount of time I spend when I introduce a new command line argument. Like, I analyze it to the bone. And, like, is it a common letter used for this type of thing? Is it the first letter of the the name of the thing it's doing? Is it colliding with another flag that is uh, similar or something? It could be confusing. Like for me, it's always uh, probably the hardest part of introducing a new option is, is, is finding a good name for it. Because then I, if I choose wrong or like it turns out wrong, then I'm going to deal with it for a long, long time. When you're using a command line application, the flags are your user interface. And just as much thought should go into deciding what those flags should be called and the the ergonomics of those as UX designers put into graphical applications. And the implications sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing you know, some kind of a data synchronization utility, for example, no idea why that would come to mind. But if you're doing something like that, 
almost everybody with that type of application will include a force flag. But in almost any situation that you would implement a force flag to make it do something that might be unsafe, you could instead have used dash dash unsafe. And those two potential arguments might do the exact same thing, but you're subtly telling your users different things by your selection of which argument does the exact same technical task. One of the other things that I tend to struggle with, like I don't, struggle is a bad connotation. I I don't really want to use that exactly. One of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking about when I go to introduce a new argument to one of my own applications, I very frequently have a very specific task in mind that I do all the time and I start to implement it. And then I think, okay, but let me back up a couple of steps. What similar tasks might other people do that I don't necessarily care about, but if I just kind of broaden the scope of this a little bit, I can make this applicable to thousands of people instead of like, you know, me and five friends. Or if I broaden this, am I technically making more things possible, but are they things that almost nobody's gonna want to do? And I'm really screwing up the experience for the thousands of people that want to do the simpler, tighter scoped thing. When you talked about the uh, force thing there, I thought you were going to talk about recursive and whether to go lowercase or capital R, because that always catches me out. I can't remember which one it is, but I often will type it and get the error and okay, I have to go capital. That's easy. The correct answer is lowercase r always. And those apps that used uppercase r for recursive did it wrong. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> that would be ch mod ch on. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that always catches me out. Well, we should probably wrap things up. It's been great talking to you, um, especially about such a cool project. So thanks a lot for joining us. If people want to learn more about you and the project, where should they go? You can go to askinema.org where you can scroll down to the footer and there are a bunch of links. We have a Matrix channel. Join us, say hi. I also manage a Mastodon account and also you can reach me at uh, margin at askinema.org over email. Right, well, I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes then. But we'd better get out of here. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Amalith. I've been Jim. And I've been Martin. See you later.